In this, uh, you've been an opponent of uh, big multinational corporations, especially uh, Monsanto, uh, to name just uh, one, uh, because of what you describe as their nefarious influence on uh, agriculture. Uh, there are a number of examples. There was the BT cotton Uh, in, in India, uh, especially, uh, and you said, you know, uh, this is not a matter of helping farmers grow their land, but actually making them dependent on those big corporations. Um, you know, the entry of corporations into agriculture is so wrong because the corporations only bring poisons. Most of them have roots in Hitler's Germany in making gases. To kill people in concentration But that's camps. What, that was not their aim. Their aim no. was to give people enough. No, to no. Eat. The aim was to make chemicals that kill people. After the wars, they said, "Why should we stop making these chemicals? Let's say now they'll kill pests. They will give fertilizer. Fertilizers were made in the same factories that made explosives and ammunition for Hitler's that's Germany. It's not the same goal. No, the the or, the companies are the same and the processes are the same. So. Your rhetoric might change, but the goal does not. The materiality of a death-making chemical doesn't change when you say it's now for prefeeding the world. I did a book on the violence of the Green Revolution because Punjab, the most fertile land of India, was destroyed. And then when Monsanto came in as a result of globalization, because till uh, the 90s, 90% of the seed was in farmers' hands and the rest came from the public sector from the government labs, research institutions. So Monsanto came illegally, didn't take any approval with the promise that they would increase farmers' incomes and have this magical technology to control pests. Well, the bollworm is now resistant. Farmers are in debt. Farmers are committing suicide. The area has been ruined. The pollinators are gone. There's no pollen. The groundwater's gone. So there's nothing about the ecosystem. So I save seeds. We brought organic cotton seeds back. We work with the Gandhi ashrams on hand spinning and hand weaving of this organic cotton. The economy in the villages where we work has jumped tenfold because now the wealth is staying in the village rather than being siphoned off as Monsanto's profit. I want to get to your latest book because uh, you widen, I would say, uh, your attacks is not only Monsanto and, and the likes, but also uh, others. Uh, you uh, attack the what you describe as the billionaire uh, dictators, especially uh, one man, I should say, uh, Bill Gates. Well, Bill Gates is actually continuing the work of Monsanto Uh, because Monsanto had so many movements, and we held a, a tribunal on Monsanto. Um, a buyer bought up Monsanto, but when Bill Gates pours money into Africa for feeding the poor in Africa and preventing famine, what's he doing? He's pushing the failed green revolution. He's pushing chemicals, pushing GMOs, pushing patents, and now pushing new... Knowingly, or he thinks it's a good thing and he may be wrong. Well, there's it's not enough, the same thing. There's enough evidence of what it does. There are enough letters to him from farmers of Africa, from governments of Africa to say, this is not the way to go. The United Nations accepts agroecology working with ecological systems as the best way to go. Now, you, um, Bill Gates is trying very hard to shift the patenting issue now to digital. Why do I call him today's Columbus? Because he's carving out new colonies. 
Now that we have the data that is showing that native seeds have more nutrition, they produce more food, they have no cost because you don't have to use chemicals, that local biodiversity is the way to feeding the world, in spite of all that evidence, in spite of the evidence in the United Nations, in the FAO, in UNCTAD, every agency, Bill Gates is still imposing and forcing GMOs which is a failed enterprise. And he's not just imposing GMOs, he's taking what has failed and rejected my go by governments. My government threw the BT aubergine of Monsanto out. Bill Gates resurrects it in Bangladesh. We rejected the golden rice for solving the problem of blindness. He finances it to continue through Philippines. So he's taking all the failed projects with the wrong thinking that life is like a word program and can be chopped and cut and pasted when it's an amazing complexity of self-organization and scientists call it autopoiesis, self-organization, writing your own poetry. That's what life does. He is absolutely ignoring all of this new knowledge that new science is giving us and imposing a failed technology with a huge cost to the planet, only so there can be monopolies and people and farmers aren't free to have their seed. You've talked about how he took control of the WHO. He's trying to take control of the FAO. The FAO is based, Food and Agriculture Organization is based in Rome. It is what has recognized that ecological agriculture is the way to go and supported agroecology till last year, till Gates started to take charge. And now he's moving the food summit to New York. 500 organizations have said, this is no more a food summit. It's a poison summit. The poison cartel and Bill Gates, the billionaires, are running it to push more poisons, now under new names. So we have a lot of work to do. 500 have said by a court, but we still need to come together. And we have to come together around truth and nonviolence and regeneration and a way from untruth and fakeness and violence and the degeneration of our bodies, our health, the planet, our minds, you know? I mean, the, look at the people who are sick. How many, I mean, how many people have lost work? How many people have lost food? But how many people are sick? But in India, the farmers are doing fine. The villagers are doing fine. When people are healthy and eating healthy food, there is no problem. The problem is where they've already made people suffer. And now they want to make people suffer even more. And he wants to commit a crime against our gut microbiome, pushing more fake food through impossible food. And he wants to create conditions that real food will disappear. And that's why we all have to organize together. And the scientists have to start being protected, you know. Yeah, but I think these are the issues that need to be taken up mm -hmm. because what's happened is that ordinary people are having to fight their individual battles when these are about institutional, structural, societal crimes. And they need to be taken up the way Rockefeller was taken up and Standard Oil was broken down. Um, you know, we have this very beautiful text in India, well, the Gita. Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita. Yes. And there's a very simple lesson that Krishna gives. That you do not measure the fruit of your action. You have to measure your obligation for action. You have to find out what's the right thing to do. 
that is your duty. Whether you win or lose is not the issue. The obligation to do the right thing. For me, you know, I've grown up as an ecologist and a nature lover from my very childhood. And for me, the diversity of species, their intrinsic value, their integrity is vital. The rights of our farmers to be able to have seed, the most fundamental source of a livelihood in a poor country. 80% of the food of the world is even today produced by those small farmers of the kind that we have in India. Our small farmers are feeding 1.2 billion Indians. We forget the scale of what smallness means multiplied many times because we've got used to the dinosaur mentality. We only see the big. We forget that dinosaurs go extinct. You have obviously seen things differently because you studied nuclear physics, right? I studied nuclear physics, but I also studied quantum theory. My thesis was on non-separability and non-locality in quantum theory. Which means? <laughs> Which basically means everything is connected. Because, you know, the, the industrial revolution and the scientific revolution uh, gave us a very mechanistic idea of the universe. First, we were told nature's dead. There's no living earth. How can you even imagine the earth lives? How can other species, they're just inferior creatures of God and you've got to have man's empire over God, uh, over the earth. The idea that everything is this hard matter unrelated to each other is still guiding a lot of science. Genetic engineering is based on that hard matter, genes in isolation, you know, genes determine everything. There's a master molecule that gives orders. Old patriarchal stuff. The real science. <laughs> Patriarchal. The real science is the science of interconnection. Whether it's of quantum what? of interconnectedness, of non-separation, that everything is related. Farming, for example, you must see the soil, the plants, the pollinators, the food that's produced, all of it in the whole. Let's take that into the system of economics because some people have said that globalization, the movement of ideas, of people, of money. Uh, across arbitrary boundaries, boundaries as if they didn't exist also reflects the interconnectedness of everything. That globalization is an economic equivalent of what happens in the world of nature and that everything is connected and you can't stop it, Manana Shiva. This is the way the world rocks. Well, first of all, uh, this is not interconnectedness at the ecological level. This is extremely artificial corporate rule on a planetary scale. Some corporations get to control the world. And then all that's flowing around is commodities. Commodities that don't have to be moving. It's still the old hard billiard ball model. Right. You know, you load the ships from China for cheap consumer products in Walmart here. That is not a world of interconnectedness. The world of interconnectedness would recognize that the rivers of China need to flow clean and free. It would recognize that um, the people of China need to exercise in work, in freedom, not as slave labor in factories to produce cheap goods. Um, this corporate globalization based on more, a higher, a deeper reach of corporations in spheres where they had no role, food, water, the air, or 
into commodities, you know, transforming the earth into commodities, that flow is not a flow of interconnectedness. And in fact, it is leading to a disconnection. If you look at the violence being perpetrated, the reason I've written my new book, Making Peace with the Earth, is because I'm watching every day. I get calls every day from remote areas. Please come down, they're shooting us. They're trying to tear down our sacred mountain of Niamgari, which has bauxite for aluminium. We have an iron ore in our mountains. They're displacing us. Every day there's a land war. Every day there's a water war because of the appetite of this global commodity-producing consumption-based interconnection. And I often say that what we have is uh, interconnectedness of the world through greed, which is not how nature works, which is not how humanity works, and an exclusion of people, a killing of their humanity. It is not an accident that with the rise of corporate globalization and economic globalization, we have seen the rise of religious conflict, ethnic conflicts, where people get divided more and more and more. So we are seeing human divisions, you're seeing a deeper division between human beings and the earth, and all you see is a global reach. We are seeing a drop in our sense of a common humanity, and definitely a collapse in the planetary consciousness that we need to have. And for me, those are the two elements of making peace with the earth, reclaiming our common humanity and reclaiming our recognition that we are earth citizens. The way you design the world in your mind is the way you relate to it in the real world. And when you design it as dead matter just to be exploited, you will exploit it. When you design it without any understanding of limits, you will violate the planetary limits. When you design it with deep recognition of interconnectedness, you will nurture those relationships. And this Basic recognition is what I drew from my learnings in quantum theory, that non-locality, non-separation, interconnectedness, that is the nature of reality. But we have a design in the paradigm of mechanistic thought which didn't evolve, it was imposed, that mechanistic thought is based first on the assumption that we are separate from nature and nature is constituted of discrete particles separate from each other who can only relate through violence, through force, through action by contact. In the quantum world, there is no separability. When you realize that the world is one interconnected whole, you also realize that what appears different is actually different expressions of an interconnected reality. For the first time in human history, technology in the hands of the billionaires becomes the new civilizing mission for humanity. The illusions about the big technology firms is they create. They extract. They don't create anything. They, you know, software programmers create the platforms that they use. Even Bill Gates didn't really write his basic program. It was some 
professor, two math professors in Dartmouth College who did the basic program. Um, they have posited themselves as inventors. When basically uh, we've done a new report, it's uh, because Bill Gates announced a new project called Ag One. You know, all agriculture will be one agriculture controlled by him. Where does he set up the office of Ag One? In Missouri, where Monsanto's headquarters is. Uh, but we watch what's going on in India, and we pieced it together. So basically, he's financing a lot of data mining from farmers, which will then be packaged back as big data and sold back to the farmers. But this is exactly what happened in your 2016 elections. Facebook sold data to Cambridge Analytica. So when you think of why are the kind of leaders that we have getting created, it's very important to remember that in these 25 years of corporate deregulation of commerce, you basically have a lot of money in the hands of very few people. And they then are the ones investing in all the companies. The companies are not independent companies anymore. They're basically billionaire money managed by the investment funds like BlackRock and Vanguard, etc. Everywhere, people are on the streets. Just look at this year. Show me a country where there weren't protests. Chile, Beirut, Hong Kong, everywhere. So how do you deal with the rising demand for a change? We threw out the East India Company in 1857. The crown took over. They established a policy called divide and rule. And then they started to divide Hindus and Muslims because Hindus and Muslims had stood together to defend their land, their livelihoods, their freedom. This is what led to our partition. And that partition is still being played out. It's an incomplete project. So divide and rule becomes a necessity for the 1% to continue to hold on to power. What are the economic policies being pushed while people are divided? Because that's really the agenda. Refusal to cooperate with unjust law is what Gandhi calls Satyagraha, as a duty, as a duty of truth. He was inspired by Thoreau, who refused to pay the poll tax here against the slave system. Uh, he inspired Martin Luther King. And the civil rights movement is very much inspired by Gandhi. But it is when King started to take up the economic justice and e economic equality issues, that's when he was assassinated. Because the part is you can talk in very sweet ways about civil liberties, but you don't touch economic justice. And the economy is, for me, it's a double violence because the origin of the word, the meaning of the word economy comes from oikos, our home. The Aristotelian Tertullian name is oikonomia, the art of living. And when you turn the art of living into the art of money making, which Aristotle called crematistics, then you have to practice violence against the earth and violence against others, destroy their livelihoods, destroy their freedoms, take away their resources. So the violence is multiple. And I look into the future. I say, why are we building detention centers everywhere in India along the border of Mexico? Because I feel that if we don't, 
activate our sense of interconnectedness with all life, with all people, if we don't start sowing the seeds of what I have called Earth democracy, we are going to see 99% people as disposable, especially with the tech working on artificial intelligence, to make sure all the mechanical work is made redundant, whether it be in radiography or law or whatever. Mechanical work will be substituted. And if that's the case, 99% people are disposable. So you can either share this beautiful planet with love and abundance and sustainability, or say, it's all mine, every bit of land, every seed, every mind, because what's being mined is our mind now. And if we don't defend the freedoms of all species and the freedoms of all human beings, we could see within 20, within 20 30 years, a level of disposability built into the structures that human, humanity will not be able to respond to. So this is the time to make oneness and interconnectedness as one humanity on one planet, the political project of our times. Everyone has realized the regeneration is what we have to shift to. So what do we need to be doing in the next? I mean, for me, the next decade is the determining decade. So I take my mind. Wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's stop there. Why is the next decade the determining decade? Because these petty minds, insatiable greed, wants to go so fast that if in the next decade we don't protect what has to be protected and build resilient alternatives and take away the sainthood from this criminal, <laughs> you know, they will leave nothing much to be there to be saved. So, you know, when 87, I heard the chemical corporations, the poison cartel, which is also the big farmer, people think agriculture is here, medicine is here. No, the same criminal corporations gave us agrochemicals. They gave us bad medicine that creates more disease than it solves. So big pharma, big ag, big poison, all one. And Bill Gates is holding it all together even more and trying to make them bigger because he has investments in all of them, mm -hmm. all of them. He's constantly investing. So when I go back to when the chemical company said we'll own all the seed and no farmer will be allowed to save their seeds and we'll have an international law and uh, all seeds will come from us. We'll be five companies and all seeds will be GMO and patented. And I said, no, you won't have your way. We'll save one seed at a time, one seed at a time with all the love we can pour into that saving. And today seed saving is a global movement. It's totally a global movement, the seeds freedom movement. So I think that's the first place we have to begin because Gates wants our seeds. Gates wants our seeds. We have to remember we are one humanity. We are part of one earth. And whatever we do, we will not let this basic recognition divide us, either from the earth or from each other. And together we are strong. <laughs>